Good morning, Community Church. Welcome to everybody here in Mount Pleasant. Welcome to everyone in Elma. Welcome to our family in St. John's and everyone else joining us online. We are really, really glad that you're here with us today. And I'm excited to actually be sharing from the heart with you guys this morning. I'd like to tell you a story to start out. It's a story about a man and a woman who were married for 63 years. 63 years, and she was a teacher, she was a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother. She loved her family, and she loved the Lord. And it showed in absolutely everything she did. He was a World War II veteran who served, served as a, a German intercept operator in World War II. He was a businessman, he was a hard worker. He was a devoted husband, devoted father, devoted grandfather, ultimately a devoted great-grandfather. They were both active in their church, they volunteered, they served other people, they loved other people genuinely, and they cared for people. At the end of her life, she found herself in hospice care, and during the last 72 hours of her life, she was mostly asleep, and her family was praying for and around her. And after being asleep for a very long time, she woke up, and she asked a question. And you would think during this time, a question would be about herself, her needs, something she wanted, something she could have. But her grandson had just recently had a serious spinal surgery. She woke up in that hospice care and asked one question. How is his back? Is he healing okay? I've been praying for him. That's an incredible love. Her husband, after she passed, he didn't stop. He knew there was no passage in the Bible that says when you hit a certain age, you can be done loving and done serving. He knew as long as he's here on this earth, God had a mission for him. So in his years toward the end of his life, he knew he had to continue to serve. He engaged in service at every level. He served at a local soup kitchen. He even drove two friends who had Alzheimer's from their house to the local mall and walked with them and then drove them back home after getting them lunch so they could do the thing they loved and still do it in a safe way. Even into his 80s, he drove miles and miles to go be at his great-grandchildren's sporting events so they knew they were loved. There were times when his family would ask him to do something. He'd say, no, I have to be home. I have, I have snacks for my small group tomorrow. They're counting on me in his 80s. At a certain point, his family believed he was in his last days. He was in poor health and he was in the hospital. And there came a time where it looked like God was going to take him home. And his grandson sat next to his bed and said, Grandpa, you know we love you. We know you love the Lord. We know the love of your life is in heaven already and you want to go meet her. If you're hanging on for us, it's okay. We'll be okay. You can let go. And in that quiet moment where he hadn't talked in a very long time, he grabbed his grandson's hand and he looked his grandson in the face and he said, take care of my flock. He didn't ask what's going to happen. He didn't say what's going on with me. What do the doctors say? Take care of my flock. And his grandson knew what he was saying. He was saying, I'm coming to the end of the time when I can love on the people that God's given me to love on. Carry that torch. I'm counting on you to love the people I was charged to love. Now, fortunately, he had weeks that he lived after that, and he got to see other family members, but he never saw that grandson again during that time, and those were the last words he left with his grandson. What made these two so amazing? Were they just born with silver spoons in their mouth, and they had an easy life? Did they just have positive vibes? Did they just happen across a style of life where they could just be laid back and free and just love people easily? 
I would challenge you in this story that it didn't come naturally for these people in and of themselves. It came from their connection with God. They loved the Lord so much that his love just poured out of them. They didn't even have to try to do it. It was a habit. It was a passion. They poured into every single person they met. Now, when I sit in the seats that you're in right now, sometimes I hear a sermon illustration or I hear a story shared, and every once in a while I go, man, I wonder if that's a real story. That'd be so cool if those two people really existed. The neat thing for me is that I was that grandson she asked about, and I was that grandson that he said, love my flock. And these sermon illustrations are actually about Irv and Norma Lemon, my wife's amazing grandma and grandpa. And because they were her grandmother and grandfather for 21 amazing years, they got to be my grandma and grandpa. And I will tell you, the, the most important thing I learned wasn't just about a relationship, a marriage, loving other people within family. It was that two people, 100% sold out to God, could be the greatest example of God's love lived out that I would ever see in my entire life. This is week five. Week five of the From the Heart series. And we've heard four pastors talk to you from their heart, what God put on their heart. First, we heard the gospel message. It all has to start there, doesn't it? Then after the gospel message, we heard about being the church and living out the church. And then we heard about true freedom in God and freedom from sin. And last week, we heard about prayer and the importance that prayer plays in our, plays in our life. Months ago, when I heard about this series, it was put to me this way. If, if you only had one message you could speak to the people you cared about, one message to the people you loved, and the gospel had already been shared, what would you say from your heart? And Mark 12 jumped in my head immediately. It just hit me. I thought, if the gospel message has already been shared, the most important thing I can think of sharing is what my heart has learned about the love that we get from the heart of God. So, so what does Mark 12 say? Let me set the stage for you. It's simply this. The Pharisees were there, and Jesus was there, and the Pharisees knew something that, that I don't know if we're all aware of in this room, but there were 613 precepts the Jews had to live by. Imagine every day, starting the day, saying, I hope I don't mess up these 613 things. 365 negative and 248 positive precepts. And of all these things, the Pharisee wasn't asking, hey, Rabbi, I, I want to know what your heart is. The Pharisee was thinking, let me see if I can trip Jesus up. He's like, okay, 613. What's the most important commandment? Flat out asked him. And Christ, in Mark 12, says this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He didn't trip Christ up. There's no way to trip Christ up. He is the truth, so he can answer questions about the truth. And the very first thing he said is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Isn't that the gospel message? If you do that, you have things right with our creator. That is the gospel. And he said the second one is this. Try to be nice to your neighbor. Not really. He said love your neighbor. And did you catch the detail he throws on the end? As if love your neighbor isn't enough of a challenge, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't just love people because they're God's creation. 
Don't just check a box for ministry. Don't just be nice because, you know, they deserve it because they've been nice to you. Love them as you love yourself. Church, I would challenge you to think right now, what would Mount Pleasant and Alma and St. John's and Michigan and this world look like if every Christ follower didn't just love people when it was convenient, but loved them as we love ourselves? I know it's something I have to work on. This is a challenge to me as much as to anybody. But where does that love come from? Where do you get that? You can't just read a self-help book by the right author and get that. You can't just say, well, I'll practice being nice and eventually I'll be, be loving like God wants me to be. There's one place it comes from. And this morning, the, the very first truth I want to share to you today about love is this. God is the only source of love. God is the only source of true love. You can't get that pure love anywhere else. Love doesn't define God. God defines love. I think we miss that sometimes. Sometimes when we look at God, we go, oh, he's so amazing, and we try to give him adjectives and attributes that are physical traits so we can understand and say, well, God is like this, God is like that. Well, God is loving. Yes, God is a loving God, but you know why? Because God defines what love is. He doesn't just have love, he is love. He's the designer of love, the creator of love. He imagined what love is. He's the only one to, in the most pure form, carry it out. And he's the first giver of love. And he's the one that gives the only true source of love to every single one of us, even though, myself very much included, we didn't deserve it. That's what love is. If we look at 1 John 4, 7 through 10, we can talk a little bit about love in a different way. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's interesting to me that the most clear thing I see the more I look at love is that God's example is it can't be earned or bought. It can't be earned or bought, and I'm glad because I can't earn it and I can't buy it. It's freely given, and as Christians, we're called to follow Christ's example. So in turn, what that means is that when we love people, they don't have to earn it or buy it. Because we are living out God's love through our lives, it should be something that's given freely. So what's that mean? Where, where, the, where the rubber meets the road, what's that mean? It means with your spouse, given that love. It means with your children, given that love. It means with your coworkers, giving God's love. It means when you're in that shopping line and the checkout person's having a conversation with their best friend of 30 years and 29 of those years of friendship have been while you're waiting in line behind them. It means being loving even when that person cut you off in traffic on the way to church today. And just by me saying that, some of you are probably remembering that moment. Nowhere does it say that we're to show love when we feel like it. Nowhere does it say show love if you feel full and refreshed. If you've just come back from a retreat, if you've just left your women's Bible study, if you've just left discipleship boot camp, if it's Sunday and you just plugged in and you're walking out of church, it's a life of loving people. We're called to it. God's example of love is very consistent. It doesn't ebb and flow. Our emotions ebb and flow. Our emotions go up and down, but God's love never ebbs and flows. And it's interesting to me that so many times in the world, love 
is kind of redefined. And whether it's television or movies or just friends or social media, there are different ways the world tries to kind of tweak how we view love. And we have to be careful not to lose sight of what love really is when we talk about love that comes from God. Working with college students a couple of years ago, I noticed on social media that a person in a, in a group of college students that I know and love, they, they copied and pasted on their social media an article, which is fine, but it was from a secular psychologist talking about marriage because we'd just come through a relationship series. And I read the article because I wanted to know what everyone was clicking like on. The gist of the article was that love is inconsistent, love is kind of flimsy, this morning you wake up and you love the person, you wake up next to her tomorrow, you might not love her. Every day you got to reinvent how you love the person. When you feel good and you feel like you're connected, then you love the person. When you feel disconnected, you don't love the person. And I thought, where is this fragmented definition of love coming from? If our life and our friendship and our dating and our marriages are based on God's message of love, that love should be a constant through the ups and downs. Emotions will go up and down. And I felt compelled to, to just type a few words very lovingly, to say, hey guys, um, there's a really cool person that wrote some stuff about love and his name's God and here's an article. And it was really neat because I got some one-on-one -on -one conversations where people said, I didn't realize I was kind of looking at that through a different lens. And the reason I share that is because I challenge you when you think of love and God's love, remember his definition of real love and don't let the world taint that or diminish it. Because when you look at the cross, there is no diminishing that level of love. Christ's death on the cross was not just an unfortunate event, an unscheduled thing that surprised God. Nothing surprises God. It was a divine and intentional appointment to define love once and for all. Even in our undeserving state, Christ chose to die so that we could live through his blood. That is love lived out. That is loving someone not just as yourself, but more than yourself. Unfortunately, many of us have probably gone to funerals or celebrations of life. And I was thinking as I was praying through this, this message God put on my heart that every time you go to a funeral or celebration of life, the neat thing is you're celebrating the life. Remember the life. Remember the memories. Thankfully, no one ever says, let's remember this death. There's one death that we focus on remembering. And that struck me in the last few weeks praying through this. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the one death that not only do we remember, but every month as a church body, we break bread and we drink juice because Christ himself said, remember that my body was broken. Remember that my blood was spilled out. The celebration is that he rose afterwards, but what are we remembering? We are remembering ultimate love in its purest form. The love of a God that loves us even though we could never earn it, we could never deserve it. And on our worst day, he still says, son, daughter, I love you, I already paid it. That's a pretty amazing love. The second truth I have for you today is this. God's love furthers his kingdom. God's love furthers his kingdom. As we live our lives of Christ-like love, People will see that love and that patience and that peace, the hope that we have, even in the chaos of an ever-changing world, and they'll want to know, what is that? It's not me. It's God in me. It opens that door. In 1 John 4, 11 through 14, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, 
and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now it breaks my heart and it's unfortunate, but one thing I've heard said in the past is the greatest argument against Christianity is Christians. And I thought, you know, if we're not living God's love to people, that could be true. Church, I would challenge you that scripture says he's given us his spirit and he lives in us and his love never fails and we're to testify to his son and the love and the grace he gives us. So shouldn't it be that our charge today for me, for you, is that the greatest argument for Christianity should be us, the church, imperfect, broken people that have been redeemed by a God with love. And as we live that love, we have a chance to tell people, it's not about me and I'm far from perfect, but man, let me tell you about my God. One of the things we're called to do is to go and make disciples. Now, that's bringing life to those who are spiritually dead and just unaware of God's love. And the disciples did this because they were with Christ every day. They had the ultimate example of walking with Christ, and then they lived out what he taught them. As we live out what God's called us to do in living a life of love, people will see not us, not our ideas, not our eloquent speeches, not anything in our life, not a self-help book, not something we wrote in our journal, but if we live right, praise God, they'll see God in us and realize that's what they need. When the lost and spiritually dead friends in our lives see that the core of Christianity is love and a relationship, and it's not a set of do's and don'ts and rules, that it's that love, it becomes something they are drawn to. Rules and regulations can have accountability, but rules and regulations don't change hearts. It's God and his spirit working through us and in us that can change hearts. Now, you say, okay, well, you told me to obey people or to love people, so I'll obey, I love people. I'm obeying God. Yep, guy's a jerk, I love you. There, I'm covered. That's not how it works. Just obeying doesn't work enough. We start out obeying because we say, okay, I'm supposed to love people. I'm gonna start practicing that. I'm gonna love people, but there's another layer to it. As you start loving people and as you look at why am I called to love people, we look at the cross and as we look at the cross, we learn more about God's love. When we learn more about God's love, more in us says, I am so privileged to have this love I don't deserve to have. Then it's not just something I'm doing because I was told to do. I'm doing it because I am so privileged to have this gift. I want to give it to somebody else. And it goes from I didn't know what love was to this is real love to I'm supposed to love to man, I want to love other people so they can see this. That's how a life of love lived out works. It becomes something that's not a chore or an obligation. You want to love. The third truth I have for you today is this. God's love fulfills the law. God's love fulfills the law. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 
Paul talks about love as this new commandment. And when we practice love, he says there's no need for other laws. What he's getting at here is if I'm truly loving other people, I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to, not going to, not going to, not going to. I'm not going to do anything that's contrary to loving that person. So as long as that's my azimuth and I know where true north is and it's God's love, I will always be moving in a direction toward loving people, not toward hurting people. The beauty, again, of having love and not just a set of laws is, again, that laws don't change hearts. Laws hold accountable. God's love changes hearts and changes lives. And people may ask, why are you helping me? Why are you patient with that person? Why don't you get frustrated at work when X, Y, Z happens? The beautiful thing is we can say, it's not me. I used to be impatient. And sometimes, quite frankly, I still am and I mess up. But the reason I can strive to be patient and to love other people and extend grace is because when I was in my worst condition and totally undeserving, the God of the universe who defined love by being love reached out and loved me. So what right do I have not to turn around and love you? The interesting thing about Christ's ministry, and, and I take that as a challenge for myself and extend it on to you, is that Christ didn't just talk about loving people. If you look at Christ's ministry, he talked about loving people and then he acted it out and demonstrated his love. I don't remember Christ ever in the New Testament and Jesus came into town and he put up a scroll and nailed it to a tree and walked away hoping people would read it and find the truth. That's not how it worked. Now, is copying something and, and, and a Christian post and putting it on social media or Instagram or Facebook wrong? No. Is leaving a track wrong? No. But it does not excuse us from the commission he gave us to fulfill our calling as God's people to go out and live his love and share his love with other people. I can put 15 Christian comments on Facebook a week, but if I walk past 20 people that week and they can't tell I'm a Christian and they don't get God's love, then I didn't fulfill what God's called me to do. He clearly verbalized his love and he followed it through by loving people. The fourth and final truth I have for you today about love is that God's love refreshes us. And I want to end with this because it's amazing, it's positive, it's fulfilling, it's weird because it's counterintuitive, but it's so true. God's love refreshes us. As we pour God's love out into others, he pours into us. This is counterculture to us. If I take this bottle of water and I pour it out, you say it's getting emptier the longer you pour, and then I have an empty bottle. In God's economy with his love, when I pour his love out that he's put in me and I pour it out, he's just up there pouring more and more and more and more in. And he tells that to every one of us. If you give my love to other people, if you pour my love out and love other people as I love you, I will continually refill you. 1 John 4, 15 through 16 says this, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God lives in us. He lives in our hearts. He's given us our spirit. You know what that means? That means that we have absolutely everything we need to live a life of love and we're without excuse. We have it. But it says we rely on the love God has for us. We rely on a lot, don't we? I misuse that word all the time in my life. You know what? I rely on my home Wi-Fi. I rely on my laptop. I rely on my truck to get me where I need to go. I rely on my sense of direction to get me back out of the woods. I rely, I rely, I rely. 
was thinking about that the last couple weeks, and I thought, you know, I think we use the word rely kind of flippantly. If you look up the definition of rely, it says to depend on with full trust and confidence. Anybody have full trust and confidence in your home Wi-Fi? <laughs> it goes down. I'm sorry. If you, if you saw Wi-Fi, I'm sure yours is awesome, okay? But the point is, I use that term loosely. And I started looking at my life and saying, you know what? What is the one thing I can actually rely on by this definition to depend on with full trust and confidence? Family, it's God. The only factor in my life that has never changed is that I have a loving God who no matter what I do or where I go is right there saying, I love you, kid. So we need to depend on God. I know that I can rely on God's love for me. And you say, you know what? Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to rely on God and be loving to other people because, Josh, you have no idea the day, the week, the month, the life that I've had. Sometimes we jokingly have a saying in our house, one of the kids will say, Dad, this day's been a long week. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Sometimes we feel that way. But I want to kind of explain God's economy by sharing a story out of the Old Testament. The verses aren't going to be up there, but please just listen to this story about Elijah. And, and a backstory on this, Elijah's sitting, living by a stream. And there's a drought that comes, and the stream dries up. The food is dying. The plants are dying. The crops are dying. The water does not exist. People are dying. So this man of God hears from God, hey, I want you to move over here. You're going to go to the region of Sidon. And here's the story. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called after her, and bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread. Only a handful of flour and a jar with a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. Listen to this, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do what I've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on this land. She went away and did as Elijah told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Church, we started out talking today about loving others as yourself. Can you think of a more visceral way to love someone more than yourself than if you think this is your last meal and you're going to die, you prepare a meal for them? Take it a step closer to the heart and say, not only am I preparing a meal that is for me, but for my child, truly believing this is the last of it. When I was a kid, I heard this story in Sunday school, and I thought, this is so neat. God provides. And this is a story about God providing. But I would challenge you today to look at the obedience of the woman to love another person above herself before she saw God's blessing. That obedience resulted in God saying, the more you pour out, the more I pour in. It's interesting because when you look at that example, you realize that the flour and the oil didn't come from her, came from God. The love that we pour out 
It doesn't come from our inner strength. It's God's love working in and through us and pouring out in the lives of other people. Now, if you think I'm going to stand up here and tell you I've always felt like loving other people and it's always come naturally for me, I will tell you that is, that is not the truth. There are times when I haven't felt like loving. There's times when I've failed to love. I've had to confess it to the person and, and to God. But there are times when I've just said, God, I'm so empty and beat up and tired. You're going to have to be the one to do this. And I want to share a story, and I share this story with permission. And please hear, this is from the heart. This is me opening up my heart, pulling that curtain back a little bit, to be viscerally honest with you, about a time when I didn't feel like I had it in me. Last December, just a few days before Christmas, my son was in some advanced training for his career, and he's okay, God gave us a miracle, he's fine, but he drowned. During a training incident, both his lungs filled with water, full cardiac arrest, his heart stopped, and for eight minutes, we could have had a bunch of Christmas presents under our tree that went unopened. Coming out of that, it was three days in the hospital, and his, his new young wife, who's an amazing young woman, my daughters, my wife, it was emotionally taxing. I was emotionally beat up. I was spiritually beat up. I was physically beat up. We weren't getting sleep. We weren't getting rest. I was just exhausted. Liz and I have two very dear friends that we consider extended family. And shortly after we got Michael back out of the hospital and God gave us that miracle, one of my best friends lost his dad. And I remember being in Walmart, and I saw his mother-in-law, who's a sweet, dear woman, and I said, hey, if there's anything that you know of that we can help out with, please let us know. I meant it with sincerity. But to be bluntly honest, I thought it was like, yeah, can we give him a meal? Can we bring some food? How can we support? And she looked at me and she said, Josh, can I, can I take you up on that right now? And I said, sure. And a few moments later, I'm on the phone with my friend, and they had just closed on a house, and just before they closed on a house, a large pine tree closed on the top of their barn. And so they were free the next day to go move that pine tree off that barn. So that night, my, Liz, my wife, Liz, my Liz, she is my Liz, thank God. My wife and I prayed, and the next morning we got up, and we're putting bar oil and a new chain on the saw, and we're putting gas in there, we're putting coffee in a thermos, and we're driving to our friend's house, and we're thinking, God, you have to do something here because we want to encourage them. We love them. We know they're hurting, but I feel kind of empty. We got there and Liz went in and helped unpack some things and had a great time with her friend. And I went outside and breathed some chainsaw fumes, which are very healthy for you in the wintertime. It refreshes you. We got that tree moved off that barn. And we worked hard and we sweat and we stood out there and we drank coffee. And then we hugged and we went our different ways. And on the way home, in a mixture of tears and laughter, my wife and I discussed the fact that we had absolutely nothing to pour out. But as God poured his love through us to people we loved and cared about, you know what? Emotionally, I was pumped. Physically, I felt invigorated. Spiritually, I felt like, you know what? We've been beat on by Satan. He's been attacking us the last couple weeks, but God just showed up in a mighty way. And that day, God confirmed one more time that it's not about us and it's not about our strength and ability. It's about his love in us and all we have to do is say, God, I'm willing to be the vessel. Tell me what to pour out. I know you'll pour it back in. And Liz and I stacked some rocks that day and we won't forget that moment. I know many of you have probably heard the story of the old man who went walking along the ocean after a storm. He was walking along the ocean and, and the storm had blown thousands of starfish up on the sand. 
And as he looked down the beach, he saw this little boy bending over and throwing something again and again and again. The old man walked up to the boy and he realized he was grabbing starfish and flinging them into the water. And he said, boy, what are you doing? He said, well, all these starfish came up in the storm and when the sun gets high, if they're on the beach, they'll die. I'm putting them back. And the old man said, boy, you'll never make a difference. And the little boy bent over and he picked up another starfish and he looked the man in the face and he chucked it in the ocean. He said, I just made a difference for that one. Church, join me on mission this week. Go out and boldly live out God's love every day. Listen for his nudge and when he whispers, love that person. Take a bold step of obedient faith and love on them. Make an impact. You probably won't impact every person in the whole world this week, but I guarantee if you let God use you, you will make a difference to that one. I love you, church. Will you guys stand with me and worship, please?